Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. War is a nightmare. War is awful. It is indifferent and devastating and evil. War is hell. But war is also an incredible teacher, a brutal teacher. And it teaches you lessons that you will not forget. In war, you are forced to see humanity at its absolute worst. And you are also blessed to see humanity in its most glorious moments. War teaches you about sorrow and loss and pain. And it teaches you about the preciousness and the fragility of human life. And in that fragility, war teaches you about death. But war also teaches you about brotherhood and honor and humility and leadership. And unfortunately, war teaches you the most when things go wrong. Brotherhood, honor, humility, leadership. Oh, I want those. Don't you want those? You just, I mean, I just don't want to go to war to get them. I just, I just want them for free. Uh, we're in a fifth part of a series on growing deeper in our relationship with God, and uh, we're using a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality to kind of guide us through that, and we're talking about it with each other, and we're trying to figure out, you know, how, how we can grow deep, how we can know God in an intimate way. Uh, we spent some time learning about the potential six stages of faith that people can go through, sometimes multiple times. Actually, you're supposed to go through multiple times. Then we looked at um, when we get stuck, how to turn courageously and thoughtfully into understanding ourselves. So because the better we understand ourselves, the better we can understand God. Now today, what we're going to look at, excuse me, is how grief and suffering and sorrow and even evil can be used to bring us to an experience of God that we couldn't have any other way. It's chapter 7 in the book, and chapter 7 is worth the price of the book. It's titled, Enlarging Your Soul Through Grief and Loss. And here's why. Because no matter how many precautions you take and no matter how much uh, you're able to arrange life so that it, it is the good life, no matter how much control you have so that you can be healthy and wealthy and comfortable for you and your friends, it is inevitable that that will be ruined. 
And we're going to take a, uh, today we're going to just maybe possibly learn some clues on how to live a life of faith in light of that inevitability. How do you live a life of faith in suffering? That's what we're going to look at today. Now, to, to fully grasp how to, to do that, we have to start a little bit with a review about what God's ambition is for us, His, what our destiny is. Use, God is all-powerful and knowing, and so he's going to use that sovereignty to bring us to this place. Romans chapter 8, it says, we've seen it before, for, for God who for God foreknew, he pretestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that Jesus might be the firstborn among the many brothers and sisters. So our destiny, the way we're predestined, is to be in his image. And all this going in, all our experiences are leading to that end. And so if we're going to be like Jesus, doesn't it just make sense that we would experience what Jesus experienced? Jesus was the man of sorrows. Sorrow is in the heart of the Jesus story. If we're going to learn what Jesus learned to be in his image, we're going to have to learn the same way he learned. And this is how Jesus learned obedience. Hebrews says this, And although he was the son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. (laughs) Although he was the son, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. What does that even mean? Why would he need suffering to learn obedience? Now, we're going to look at that. And and to help understand that a little bit more, uh, I want to tell you about kind of a theory of, of the problem with the, with the nature of God and the nature of evil, okay? It, it goes back to the early 1700s. It's called the best world theory, okay? And the, the theory is that knowing that God is all-knowing and all-loving uh, and all-powerful, and yet evil exists in the world, we can, we can deduce logically that this is the best possible world. This is the best possible experience that we have with all of this evil around us and still have human freedom. If you have human freedom, this is the best there, this is the best there is. Because if there was something better, God would have made that. Now, without going into the detail about that, it's a lesson all by itself. One of the corollaries of that is something that's called the good fall. And the good fall because this is the best possible world, is the, is the belief that says that good comes from broken souls in a broken world that could not have, the good that comes could not have been realized in a perfect world. Do you see? Let me, in, in other words, there, because we are bent and because the world is evil, we have, ex, we have opportunities to rise above things that would not have existed if the world were perfect. Let me just put it uh, another way. Uh, wrong people can, do, can go down the wrong path because it's the way to get to the right destination. Because, because that's how God can work in, in a good fall. One, one last way, okay? If, if, it, if it weren't for sorrow and grief and suffering, and even evil, we could not be fully human. The full human experience is ours to have because of the fall, because things, the the difficult things that we have. 
And so, um, for example, uh, brotherhood and honor and humility and leadership. Oh, I want those. Okay, you can get those in combat. Oh, okay. Gee, uh, how about, here's another example. The Greatest Generation. Remember, a, a popular book was uh, entitled that a few years ago, and it was, it was talking about this great generation that's now uh, transitioning out because they, the, the men, women, and the children of that generation experienced the Great Depression and the Great Second World War. And, and it was because of those experiences that they're called the greatest generation because those people defined truthfully and at the deepest level in, you know, in, in our lifetimes words like courage and love and sacrifice and endurance. And you can't know those definitions unless you have starvation and, and battles like Dunkirk and Normandy and the bulge, and Iwo Jima. You just can't have those character traits without those difficult experiences. David needs Goliath, or he's just another shepherd boy. Sure, I mean, we, we want to we be with Jesus in the image of Jesus when he's doing that teaching and when he's feeding the thousands, and we lean into his joy but <laughs> Jesus says, no, 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 there's so much more in the human experience. You, you have to come with me and experience what I've experienced as I weep bitterly and I grieve and I doubt and I'm angry. And, and then you can know what it means to be fully alive. That's the only way to get there. The best lesson, best sermon ever taught by the best human being of all times was when Jesus was teaching what's called sometimes the Sermon on the Mount, sometimes the Sermon on the Plain, Sermon on the Hill. He gave it multiple times. It's that good a sermon. And in Matthew's rendition of it, his whole introduction is what is called the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are a description of, of blessings. And, and blessings aren't what we would consider, you know, happiness. Blessings are the fullness of a soul, a life fully lived. It is, it is a transcendent experience where we realize that we are eternal beings and we're having intimacy with God in heaven. That's what it means to be blessed. And he, he goes through and says, here's, here's seven, this is what you were made to do. There's seven blessings. In Matthew 5, verse 3, he says, yours is the kingdom of heaven. You're going to be comforted. Oh, you will inherit the earth. You will be filled you will be shown mercy. You will see God. You will be called the sons of God. And, and I mean, we want these blessings. These are the deepest desires of our soul. These are all available to us. There's a catch. You have to go to war. You have to see combat to, to obtain these. Because these are only half of the story. This is the rest of it. Blessed is the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn. They're comforted. Blessed are the meek. Those are the ones that inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful. They'll be shown mercy. The pure in heart, they see God. Blessed is the peacemakers. They'll be called sons of God. Oh, we want the last half. 
It's the first half. And I, I, what I'm trying to show you is that you can only get some things in this life that are great by experiencing really bad things. Because you, you can only be conformed to, to the image of Jesus Christ when you experience what Jesus Christ experienced. And Jesus was the man of sorrow. And sorrow was the heart of his story. And so, if we, if we, we want to be like, we will be like him. <laughs> That's our destiny. We'll have to go through this path. And so, if we want to worry less and less about life and our future, we're going to have to get rid of a lot of things in our life that we care about. If you, if you want to care deeply about the things that do matter, human beings, then you're probably, well, pro there's no probably, you're going to need to suffer. Here's a wonderful quote from an old rabbi. He says, well, the man who has not suffered, what does he know anyway? <laughs> right? What does he know anyway? Some people, some people, uh, they just have to go to prison to find out that they're free. They have to find out what real freedom is when they're behind bars. And they're still behind bars, but now they're free. Some people have to lose everything they own to realize how, how filthy rich they are. That's just the way we are. We want the blessing. We don't want the way of getting the blessing. I'm, I'm trying to show you that that's not possible. You, you can't get the blessing without the war. And, and here, here's why. Because <clears throat> you can't have the blessing uh, w without the sorrow because it is, you, you receive that blessing because in that sorrow is where Jesus is. The blessing is uh, the experience with Jesus when he's there. That's, that's, that's his place. <laughs> that's, and that's that place that's quiet and it's just you and him. It's where he meets you in, in the sorrow and the grief and sometimes in the experiences of evil. And, 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 and in that place, you'll come to realize that all you have is Jesus. And it's in that place when you, you truly understand, okay, who Jesus is when all you have is Jesus, and then you realize all you need is Jesus. But I don't know how else you get to all you need is Jesus until, until you have that meeting where it's all you have. All you need is Jesus. But getting there is is. It's finding out that's all you really have anyway. Look, I, I ran in, this will help. I, I ran to uh, a missionary number about five years ago on a mission trip. And I'll call him Bill because I can't remember names. And, uh, and the minute you would meet Bill, you knew this man had been sifted. And the story is too long to tell, but his adult life was just wave upon wave of grief, sorrow, and sometimes evil. And, I mean, body, soul, and spirit, he'd been beaten down. And by the time I had met with him, he had been crying out to the Lord, and he, had, he was out of tears. He was done. 
He had, he had, he had completely surrendered. And blessed are those who mourn, right? Blessed are those who mourn. And, he, and, and you, you could see in his eyes that he was formerly a wild man. He was a loud and crazy man, but now he's a quiet and peaceful person, and he didn't speak much, and when he did, you would listen because it, it was from a, um, a battle zone that you didn't want to know about. Anyway, the, the reason I tell you that is because uh, a rather famous author had come out with a book about, you know, probably, you know, trying to answer the questions of suffering. And since this man was known to be a rather famous for his sufferings, he sent him a copy of the book ahead of time and asked him if he'd write something in the foreword and, and make a comment on it. And our, you know, Bill sent back a letter with four words on it. You have not suffered. Well, they didn't put that on the jacket. <clears throat> Just about three years later, the author came back to Bill and, and looked at him and said, you were right. I had not suffered. And what did I know anyway? And I have now, and now I can't even look at that book on my shelf. I'm embarrassed about what I wrote. I had so many answers. And if you knew Bill, at least for me, I wanted, I wanted the simplicity of his faith. I wanted the complexity and the depth of his faith. I just did not want to go through what he had to, to get there. I mean, why, why, is, why, is, why is suffering and hardship and sorrow and grief and sometimes evil, why is that necessary to acquire those things that make our life full? Why do we experience such depths of, of loneliness or hunger or extended unemployment or infertility to, to get us to a place where all we have is Jesus and Jesus is all we need. I'll be blunt. We are fallen creatures and sin has made us stupid. It, it, it is, sin just makes us stupid. And so we have to learn the good lessons the hard way. I guess that's just part of the good fall. Uh, you don't need to necessarily understand this, but you need to believe this to be true. You need to believe this, that there is purpose in suffering. Christianity teaches that there is purpose in suffering, that if, if it's faced rightly, it will drive you down deep into a knowledge of the power of God and the love of God. That's what it can do for you, the power of God and the love of God. So, so how do you live? How do you live by faith in the context of difficulties? That's what we're looking at today, okay? Start here. You have to start here. That you, you need to know and be convinced of that God is for you and God loves you. God is for you and God loves you. You can't move past that. You start there. Look, look, let me show you. Uh, the way we started it today was what is our destiny? It is, that we would be conformed. Here it is right here in Romans chapter 8. Look at the verse. It says, verse 29, for, for who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that Jesus might be the firstborn among all the brothers and sisters. 
That's verse 29. It's the same subject. Jump a verse, and, and Paul continues to write, what shall we say of these things? If God is for us, in light of him going to be making us in his image and making us experience the suffering, if God is for us, who could possibly be against us? And then look at this, look at this fact, this truth. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up over for us, uh, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Look at the logic of that. He who, he who did not spare his own son, that's how, that's how for us he is. How will he also, now, now with him, Jesus now with the Father, won't he give us all these things that we need? He's, he's for us. Next sentence, it says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who will, who will condemn? It's Jesus Christ who died. No, no, no. He says, no, he was raised. No, he was seated. He is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. He is right now interceding for us. Who could condemn us? No one, because he is for us. He is for us. And then now he gets into the love, verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will See if he leaves anything out. I can't find it. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, will that separate us from the love of Christ? But in all these things, we're overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things of the present nor things to come nor powers, height, depth, nor any created thing is able to separate us from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah, amen is right. That's true. The, the resurrection, all the proofs of the resurrection is just saying what he said, he did. These are, that's a fact at this point. He is for us and he loves us. You start there. And, and, here, and here's why. Because, because suffering is absolutely unbearable if you're not certain of these things. Okay, you have to be certain that he is for you and that he loves you because these, uh, this conviction allows a stability in your suffering and grief and, and that now suffering and grief or whatever it might be that is just, it's just seasoned with this love and changes the whole taste of it. Now you grieve not without hope. Suffering, I'm sorry, suffering is not the heart of the story of Jesus Christ. Loving suffering or, or the love suffering or the suffering love. The suffering love is the heart of the Christian story. Listen carefully. The for, I'll change that to because. Because God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, his only son, so that he could suffer for you. So that whoever received him would not perish. The suffering story is a love story. That's the, heart of the, that's the heart of the message. It's a loving, suffering story. It's a suffering love story. And so you, you, this is your resolve of the week, this, or life. Resolve this, that God is for you, 
and that God loves you. He cannot, I mean, this is just logic in some respects. He cannot not love you. He is bound by his own nature to love you. There. Now. Now. How do we live by faith in the midst of sorrow? Now, where does the faith come in? This is facts. Where does the faith come in? This is where the faith come in, comes in. Christianity teaches that there's purpose in suffering. It, it teaches that if, if it's done right, it can drive you down to the depths of God's love and God's power. Suffering can bring you to a place of understanding that he takes broken things and makes them holy things, that he takes dust and makes us. It, it will bring you to a place of depth that you can understand, maybe not understand, but experience, that, that love can make chaos into something spectacular. And you can't know that in other ways. The heart of the gospel story, the heart of the story of Jesus' death and resurrection is suffering for love. And, and, and so I, just, I'm, I guess today I'm just, I'm, I want to bring you a clue, just a clue. I'm not bringing answers to the problem of suffering and how it seems to be the primary highway in which we attain the fullness of the human experience. I just, the, the, the clue is that through these desperate experiences, there is a clarity of, of the goodness of God because now it's, it's, it's isolated from our happiness. And our happiness sometimes, some you, know, you know, make things harder to see. Uh, suffering and, and sorrow and grief and sometimes evil can clear the fog between heaven and earth. And you can, you can see, right? The veil is not so thick. It, it, is, um, it is a time where we, it, it, cuts, it cuts through like the clutter. It cuts through the clutter of our life and brings us such focus. It brings us such focus because all the trivia has been left behind. It never made it. Let me tell you a story I think that might help explain this. Uh, um, uh, my older sister, she uh, had a mild stroke when she was uh, just a little under two, and it, it killed a part of her brain that uh, made her inarticulate. She has difficulty uh, just, you know, trying to figure out what she's going to say and then say it. So sometimes it's stuttering. Sometimes it's just her grasping for random words. She's, she's intelligent, okay? It's not a matter of, of smarts. She has a master's degree. It's just a matter of that part of the brain just doesn't, frankly, just doesn't work. We've seen an MRI. There's a black spot right there. And what she lost in that uh, communication skill, she picked up a compassion for other people and a, and a wonderful sense of humor. So know that about her. And then another thing is for over 30 years now, she has suffered from one of the cruelest and most evil expressions of multiple sclerosis that I've personally been exposed to. It is tearing her apart. And uh, she, she has risen above that. She rarely, if ever, complains, and she will get mad at you if you make a fuss over her. 
Well, a few years ago, just a few years ago, less than five years ago, she called me at home to tell me how bad things were, and it was very unusual because she doesn't do that. And, and she was telling me how because of the back spasms that she was having, she hadn't slept for two days, and they were throwing all kinds of medications at her, and they weren't even touching the pain. And it's not the back spasms that you and I have experienced. It's her, her, her disease was attacking her spine, and what was, what was happening is these spasms were quite literally shifting her spinal cord. By the, by the end of this drama that she went through, she had a full-blown case of scoliosis where she required the surgery to have the rods put in because what was once a straight line was in, in this conversation with every beat of her heart becoming an S. That's how much pain she was in. And so we just, we just cried and then we prayed. And, and here's the thing that was really strange, because I was, I was in the backyard talking to her, and I came in, and of the 624 months I have known this person, in, in, the, in the midst of this unbearable pain, she was articulate, and she was concise, and she was premeditated. My big sister, Casey, was eloquent. She'd never been that before. It, it, the, the pain broke through the broken part of her brain. And she has never spoken like that before. And maybe I hope she'll never speak that way again. But I think it's a picture of life, friends. I think it's a picture of life. That good things can come from very bad experiences in a fallen world. And that was the closest I have ever been to my sister where she was like the way she was meant to be, was in that pain. Here's truth. The cross is the gift that God gives his friends. The cross is the gift that God gives his friends. Because then we can see him uncluttered, without the fog. We can focus on his beauty. Jesus said, he said this. He said, would you join me in my suffering? And he said that because he wanted us to experience the fullness of life. God loves us too much to be the overindulgent father so that we might grow old and never grow up. God loves us so much that he would, he would not want us to miss the fullness of the human experience. Was it Augustine that said the glory of man, the glory of God is man fully alive? The glory of God is man fully alive. He loves us too much to miss that opportunity. God wants to make each and every one of us rare and exceptional human beings that, like Moses, in this life, 
might be able to see just the passing back of God and live. And there's only one way to see that. It's through suffering. Let's pray that maybe um, God might speak to you today to, to see that he's been working in your life in that way, okay? Let's do, let's do that. Lord, Lord Jesus, um, there's so many stories in here of of inexplicable evil and pain and prolonged hardship. And Lord, I'd ask that your spirit would come in and speak to these men and women, these boys and girls, and say, that's where I live. The transformation happens there because that's where we can talk. It's so quiet here, and it's just us. And so, Lord, I'd ask that you would help us as we love to lean into your joy and the happiness that you bring, that we would learn to lean into sorrow and grief, suffering and, and maybe even evil, that we might work with you as you work out our salvation to become in the image of Jesus, that loving, suffering servant. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.